After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to begin this morning, for those of you who, like me, love history and love things like archaeology, with an example that takes us back to the days of the stories that we're reading. If you're a person who doesn't like history and doesn't care much for archaeology, I'm still going to begin with this illustration either way. This is an image of what's called the Priene Calendar Inscription. Etched in stone around 9 BC, this inscription is a tribute to the Caesar who we hear a lot about during our Advent stories, Caesar Augustus of Rome. And among the words that are written in tribute to Caesar Augustus are some words that will sound familiar to us, and as I read them, perhaps will even be a bit offensive to our ears because they're words being used to describe Caesar as opposed to Jesus. As a part of the Priene calendar inscription, we find these words, Providence filled Augustus with virtue that he might benefit mankind, sending Augustus as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things, and that from this day forward, the birthday of the god Augustus would be the beginning for the world of the good news. And the word that's used there is the word euangelion, which we translate gospel, the good news. Now, what do we do with this inscription that was written about Caesar, not Jesus, 
years before Jesus was born, but uses the same kind of language we find in the Bible. We'll consider a couple of things. First of all, Caesar Augustus most likely commissioned that this be written about him, okay? So he commanded that, that he would be remembered in such terms. In fact, what the Romans did with this inscription is they reset their calendar according with Augustus' birthday that that would begin the year from that day forward. So Caesar commissioned this out. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we see Scripture telling us using this kind of language who we should know and believe is actually the savior who we should know and believe is actually the good news that those words don't describe a man sitting on a throne in rome but amazingly they describe a child born in bethlehem laid in a manger to whom people from all over the world and from all walks of life were brought that they might bow down and worship him, not as the king of Jerusalem, not as the emperor of Rome, but as the king of all kings. Scripture tells us a, a different story. Scripture tells us the story of the Messiah. The star in the sky did not bring the Magi to the palace in Rome. The star in the sky brought them to a small home in Bethlehem to see the Messiah himself, who scripture tells us at just the right time, when the world needed a savior, God sent us his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those of us who needed to be forgiven for our sins, which is each and every one of us. And God brought his son to the earth. He inhabited his son on earth so that we might know who Emmanuel is. God with us, dwelling among us to make a path for you and I to be right with God. Today, as we talk about the Messiah, the story of the Magi tells us the story of a Messiah for the nations. We see God's love for people from all over the world, people who are drawn to this scene, this story from the unlikeliest of places to bear witness to the birth of the Savior, the Messiah. If, as we looked at the shepherds last week, they represented people from all walks of life, we might say they represented common people, then the Magi represent the nations. And their invitation, their welcome to, to witness the Savior, the Messiah who was born, reminds us of God's love for the nations. A love that we can see all throughout Scripture and a love that is the reason why we're sitting here today, all of us Gentiles, worshiping the Savior of the world because Jesus loves us that much. The Messiah for the nations was born and the inclusion of the Magi who we often call the wise men among the first Witnesses reminds us that Jesus truly is good news to bring great joy to all people. And Matthew begins by telling us about the moment the nations were drawn to the light. And the light that they were drawn to was quite literally a light in the sky, bringing them to the light of the world, the Messiah bringing the nations to himself. And those who came, we are told, were magi who came to 
Bethlehem sometime after Jesus was born there, during the time of King Herod, and they came to Jerusalem first, where King Herod was from the east. Now, magi, we know from history, were very common in the courts of kings and powerful people. They were scholars, they were wise men, they were experts in things like dreams, they were experts like things of sacred writings, and they also made regular observations of signs in the sky. We also know that the Gentiles coming from the east were Gentiles. And the Magi coming from the east being Gentiles would certainly be unexpected to be welcomed and invited to witness the birth of the Savior of Israel. The shepherds were unlikely, mostly because they were unclean, but at least they were Hebrews. Why would God bring in these foreign people who perhaps came from a place like Babylon, which was not just a foreign place, but these were enemies of God's people? These were people who in the past had constantly been in conflict and they had served the kings of other parts of the world that set themselves against the people of Israel. Why would they, of all people, be included? And yet they were. They were invited to witness the Savior, the Messiah who had been born. And that invitation came through a sign in the sky. And I love that we see God being so personal with everybody who's involved in the Advent stories. God was so personal with Mary as he spoke to her through the angel Gabriel, pre preparing her for what was going to come next. God was so personal with Joseph as he spoke to him through the angel and through dreams, preparing Joseph for the incredible responsibility he was going to have, and yet leading him gently to understand what was going to happen next. God was personal with the shepherds. He met them out in their fields. But in the midst of meeting them and speaking to them through an angel, he opened up a window into heaven as we saw last week and he allowed the shepherds to be able to worship like no one on earth had really been able to worship before. And he's personal with the magi. How does he speak with them? How does he draw them to the light of the Messiah? Using a sign in the sky, just like they would observe, like they would see on a regular basis. And yet they realized that this sign was not like any other sign they'd seen before. Something was happening here that was altogether new and different. And they, they had a sense, I feel as I read this story, that something was happening in them that was like they'd never experienced before. Now, when we think about the sign in the sky, for whatever reason, we love to do this as Christians and especially as Western Christians. Lots of people have tried to come up with a natural explanation for what the Magi might have seen. There are some who theorize that this was Halley's Comet. Halley's Comet appeared sometime around the birth of Jesus, probably too many years before, but for those who are looking for a natural explanation, Halley's Comet is an option that's been mentioned. Others talk about Jupiter's retrograde motion, that for a few months between 3 BC and 2 BC, and this happens regularly, Jupiter would appear to be moving back east in an opposite direction from the way it normally would be seen. And so some have said it was Jupiter's retrograde motion that, that told the Magi they needed to go a different direction. 
We talked about this a couple of years ago when it happened. Sometimes Jupiter and Saturn come together in the sky in what's called conjunction, and that cluster up there looks like a really bright star for a few hours that's very unique. And so some have said, well, that happened around this time. Maybe it was Saturn and Jupiter coming together. Or others have said, no, you know, it would make sense. It had to be a supernova. I mean, a supernova is the birth of a new star. And so they must have been witnessing the birth of a new star coinciding with the birth of the Messiah. Or maybe, just maybe, it was something different altogether. It was a moment that God chose where something unique and singular happened that had never happened before and it had never happened and has never happened since but God is the one who initiated it maybe what we're seeing underneath this without trying to, to, to decide on an option for what this might have been maybe what we're seeing is what the psalmist described in Psalm 19 1 the heavens declare the glories of God and in this moment just as the heavens always declare the glories of God, a star, a sign in the sky was declaring the glories of God because the Savior had been born. And the Magi, the nations, are drawn to the light of the Messiah. We saw his star when it rose, they said, and we have come to worship him. But just as has been the case since creation began, the light often has to contend with darkness. In the next part of Matthew 2, the light of the Messiah encountered darkness. Everything to this point has been a happy story, beautiful, worshipful, without any hint of darkness whatsoever. But when King Herod gets involved, the light of the Messiah encountered darkness. When King Herod heard the words the Magi were using. He was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. We might say it this way, when Herod's not happy, no one is happy, right? And when he was disturbed, so was all of Jerusalem. And yet King Herod, the people knew in their hearts, was not truly their Jewish king. In fact, the way Herod had been able to take the throne was using his great wealth, to broker a deal with Rome to be put in a position of power that he had neither earned nor that was intended for him in his bloodline. But he usurped the throne nonetheless and was able to accumulate significant authority over Judea through the deal he'd made with the Romans. One ancient Christian said it this way, when Herod usurped the kingdom of the Jews for himself, he took away our liberty... He profaned our holy places, and he profaned our worship. Herod was wealthy. Herod was powerful. Herod was a heretic. And Herod was a ruthless man who saw the news of the birth of the Messiah not as good news, but as a threat. And you know, we see the same thing happen in the hearts of many today. There are those who hear the good news of the Messiah, and they respond with joy. I pray that's the story of each and every one of us in this room, that when we hear the good news, when we heard the good news of the Messiah, we responded with joy, and we responded in faith, 
and we received the good news. We surrendered our lives to the Messiah. And because of that, we know that this word that we're celebrating this week in Advent, this word peace, is a word that we understand on a whole different level. Because we have a peace that Christ has brought to us that is different than any kind of peace we could find anywhere else. Some respond with joy and they surrender and they receive peace. There are others who respond to the good news of the Messiah with apathy. They just say, well, that's not that interesting to me right now. Or maybe they give lip service to it, but they never really surrender. And because they never really surrendered, they never really experienced that peace. And they never really experienced the transformation that follows when we walk in obedience with Christ. Some respond with joy, some respond with apathy, and some, just like Herod, respond to the message of the Messiah with hostility. And they hate it, and they're offended by it, and they see what is light as being dark. From the very first moments that Herod heard about the Messiah's birth, he responded with fear, and he had sinister intentions. He called the Jewish experts to him first and said, Explain to me again what do the scriptures say about where the Messiah is to be born? And they respond by quoting the prophet Micah. In Bethlehem in Judea, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And so then Herod moved from the Jewish experts to the Magi themselves. He called them in secretly, or we might say he called them in shadily. And he asked them, now tell me again, when exactly did this sign appear? And we imagine that the Magi recounted their story for Herod again. And he responded in what I like to think of of being his best politician's voice. Go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. And so the Magi leave, perhaps in Herod's mind, leaving in obedience to what he commanded them to do. But I love, as we read this story, we get the sense all throughout that the Magi never consider Herod to be the true king. They know. They've seen a sign in the sky. They are being led by the Spirit of God to meet the true king, to meet the one who who would, would, would be announced with a sign like that in the sky, not a poser sitting on a throne like Herod. And so as they go, we, we feel this sense that they never really recognize Herod as king. They're never really going to respond to his command to come back. And what happens at the end of this account is that the light of the Messiah, which drew the nations to him, also led to worship. And don't you love that in each and every one of these stories? We see Mary worshiping God. We see Joseph responding in obedience. We see the shepherds glorifying and praising. We see Zechariah and Elizabeth praising the Lord. Next Sunday, we'll see Anna and Simeon in the temple praising the Lord. All of these people who are invited to witness the birth of the Messiah, they respond with worship. 
And the same thing happens with these Gentile scholars, wise men, magi who come from the east. They are led to worship. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way and the star continued to lead them. They saw it, it went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, when they realized they had been led to this simple house in Bethlehem where moments later everything about their lives was going to be changed, they were filled with joy. They were overjoyed. And I like to think that what was happening for the Magi is they began to realize that that which they'd been searching for their whole life, they were about to find. They were about to see. These were men who had spent their lives seeking wisdom, seeking truth, seeking life on a level that most people didn't understand. And yet you get the sense that in all their seeking, all their searching, they had not yet found what they were looking for. But in this moment, they're overjoyed because they realize something new is happening here. Something different like we've never experienced is happening. And there's this joyful anticipation even before they enter the house. The one that we've been searching for our whole lives, we are about to meet. And on coming to the house, verse 11, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. We don't see that part of the story when they met Herod, do we? But when they observed Mary and Joseph and they saw the child in the manger with his mother, they bowed down and they worshipped him. You know, there's something I think at play here that we see in several other historical accounts. It was very common for kings in the ancient world to surround themselves with advisors. Even today, we would say things like, it would be very wise, if you're a wise leader, to surround yourself with wise people. And in the ancient world, it was so common for kings and powerful people to surround themselves with scholars and wise men and others who would contribute to their leadership. But in all of those accounts, we see wise people, counselors, they're, they're, they're speaking to the person in power. They're perhaps influencing the person in power. They might even be scheming behind the person in power's back because they want somebody else to take the throne. But rarely do we see the scholars, the advisors, the wise men bowing down and worshiping. And we certainly almost never see that with a newborn child. But again, the Magi know something is happening that's different than they've ever experienced that the, the longing the searching they've had is is now being fulfilled and why is that the case because they met the messiah and every single year i looked back at all of my notes every single year that i've preached about the magi here at south tulsa i've brought us back to isaiah 60 because i love this text and how clearly it demonstrates the consistency of scripture that something written 700 years before what Matthew recounts here in his story was prophesied it was proclaimed it was declared that the nations would be brought to the light 
And as we read these words together, listen carefully for how they so clearly describe the moment we just read where the Magi see Jesus. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn, bearing gold and incense, and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. With their silver and their gold, to honor to the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. This is what the scriptures declared. This is what the scriptures promised. And when the, the Magi arrived in Bethlehem and they bowed down and worshiped the Messiah, scripture was being fulfilled right before Mary and Joseph's eyes. You know, I, I also share this quote almost every year, but I love it so much and it fits so perfectly with the stories that we've read. The child was born for the likes of shepherds, the poor, the lowly, the rejected, but he also came for the rich and the wise, who later appeared with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Thank you, Kenneth Bailey. Our traditions of exchanging gifts, by the way, began with this moment, when the Magi brought their gifts to the Messiah, and they brought kingly gifts. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And interestingly, some of the early church fathers, they, they found some theological meaning specifically in these gifts. Several of them wrote that the gold represented Christ's royalty and that the frankincense, which would often be used to anoint a priest or to anoint a prophet, the frankincense represented Christ's divinity and the anointing of his divinity. And then myrrh, which was often used in ceremonies related to death, the early church fathers said he was also being anointed at the moment of his birth for, for the moment of his death. That even in, in this setting, when his birth is being celebrated, his death is being promised. His sacrificial death as the king, as the anointed one, as the Messiah, who would give his life so that we might be forgiven for our sins. I'm not sure if they're right about that, but it's such beautiful imagery to think about all the promises we know and believe about Jesus. But in addition to the theological, there are also some cultural elements that stand out with these gifts in that they, just like the Magi, represented multiple cultures of the world. Gold that came from the East, frankincense that probably came from Arabia, myrrh which probably came from parts of Africa. Even in their gifts, we see the promise of the Messiah we see the promise of a Messiah for the nations who brought the nations to his light. And when they came and when they saw him, they bowed down and worshiped. The Magi brought Jesus gifts of great earthly value, but listen, they left having received the greatest gift. They saw the Messiah. They believed upon him. They worshiped. 
And from this day forward, men who were always expected to have all the answers, they probably didn't have the right words to explain what had taken place. But they witnessed the heavenly gift of Jesus Christ, Savior, Messiah, and Lord. As we close this morning, I want to just give thanks for a moment that I serve in a church that loves the nations. And that is true. We, we are a church and a church family that is so committed to God's kingdom work all over the world. Through our giving, through, through, through the sending of people, we have members of our church who are serving among the nations and have served among the nations. And, and we have partnerships all over the globe where the Lord is allowing our church to be a part of his kingdom work. But we also get to be a church that demonstrates love for the nations right here in Tulsa. And every year, this is one of my favorite pictures we get to take. We take pictures of our English as Second Language Christmas party. We just had that this week. And every year we have some returning students, and every year we have some new students who are from all over the world. And it is amazing to see how many nations are represented. We have a few folks who have some security concerns. That's why I gave them the cool picture, okay? That's why they look the way they do. But this every year is such a joy for me and i'm so thankful to see that our church believes that jesus christ is a messiah sent for all nations and that we love the nations too and this calling and this commission that we have is is like the magi received it's like the shepherds received think about it we said this last week the messiah called people to himself they surrendered that they worshiped but then they went back out and they told others the good news about the Messiah that they'd received. Our salvation is a call. It's a call to come and surrender. But listen, our salvation is also a commission that we too would go back out and we would tell others the good news of what Jesus has done in our community and around the world so that they too might glorify and worship and praise the Messiah. And we have that commission to the ends of the earth and also to our neighbors, to our neighbors who are in our family, to our literal neighbors who live across the street, to our neighbors who speak our language and look like us, and to our neighbors who don't look like us and don't speak our language. This is our commission. This is our calling because we serve a Messiah for the nations. And if that weren't true, then how would it be possible that we Gentiles would be sitting here worshiping him today? He is our Messiah, who is good news for everyone. And as a Messiah for the nations, he is a fulfillment of what Scripture demonstrates throughout, all the way back in the book of Genesis, that God loves the nations and that he calls his people to love the nations too. This includes our neighbors from all walks of life, but also the peoples of the world whom God loves, all the peoples of the world whom God loves, who are in desperate need of that which only Christ can give. The very things we celebrate during the season of Advent, that only Christ can give hope, genuine love, joy, and peace. The same things we can experience as his people because of Christ, 
because we can know the Messiah, our Savior and Lord, who was born, who was worshipped, and who died on the cross for our sins so that we might be forgiven, and who rose again from the dead so that we might share in his victory over death. Do you know and worship the Messiah today? And are you living faithfully to his commission to share his good news with all those that he brings across your path? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you today that as we worship the Godhead, we've sung about that today, we can know and see the gifts of God the Father. And we can celebrate and worship God the Son because we believe in him and we believe in his salvation. And we can worship and give thanks for God the Spirit who fills us, who speaks to us, who leads us, and who is our helper as we are commissioned as the church to do the work that we've been called to do. Lord, we thank you today for your fullness. We thank you today for the, the ways that you meet our every need. And we thank you that as the church, we have the honor to be commissioned to join you in your kingdom work. Thank you for loving the nations. Thank you for loving us. Lord, would you continue to give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it means to walk faithfully as people and as your church. Lord, I pray today as we have this time of invitation and response, if there's any person here who has not yet surrendered their life, they are that person who is searching, seeking, and Lord, they've never surrendered their life to you. They've never believed upon the Messiah. They've never called you Lord and surrendered all to you. Lord, today, would you fill them with such a, a strong sense of leading by your spirit that they would come to you and that in surrender today, they would also commit their lives from this day forward to walk with you. Lord, we give you this time for your glory and we thank you for our Messiah, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, our Lord and Savior. Amen.